Sometimes what you think might do you in will actually be the one thing that saves you. Sometimes the worst possible thing that can happen to you is exactly what you need. Sometimes the thing you fear the most is the very thing that will turn your life around. Anyone agree with that? It's not necessarily biblical, but it's some good phrases. Uh, And we're going to see here in Jonah's uh, situation in his life, uh, he's in the lowest of lows, he's in the pit of life, and God is going to use it. I would guess that this prayer that Jonah is going to say from the belly of the great fish is probably one of his most powerful prayers he's ever prayed. Desperate times cause for desperate measures. Um, How did Jonah get to this place where he is now in the belly of a great fish? If you weren't here for last week, I'm not going to go rehash all of chapter 1, but Jonah was a great prophet of the Lord, a great preacher. Uh, God came to him one day and said in verse 1 of chapter 1, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh. He was uh, Israelite, covenant people, and he didn't like those Gentiles. And it was more than that. Nineveh was the the enemy of the nation of Israel. Uh, They were persecuting them. They were everything evil against them. They didn't worship Jehovah God. They were evil people. And if he was patriotic, whatever it was, Jonah did not want to go. Uh, And maybe because it would have risked his life, it would have risked his reputation. He wasn't in for it. So he goes the totally opposite direction. He runs away from God, goes to the port of Joppa, gets on a boat to Tarshish, which is actually heading west when he should be going east to Nineveh. And he didn't care. A bunch of pagan sailors come to him, and a storm comes upon the boat. It's going to rip the boat apart, the the, uh, Jonah's below sleeping on the bottom of the ship, the boat, and they come and say, What's, what have you done? And he says, yeah, it's me. <laughs> throw me overboard. They do everything they can not to throw him overboard, but they finally say, okay, we got to throw you overboard. They throw him overboard. The minute he's off the ship and in the water, the storm ceases, and it says in the last verse of chapter 1 that a, uh, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited. Nope, that's the wrong chapter. Uh, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights. So that's catching you up. I'm in the ESV tonight. Don't let it throw you off. It's very close to the New King James. Uh, I just like some of the, the words a little bit better, but it's right there with the New King James. So Jonah's life is totally turned upside down. At this point in the fish, uh, God sent the fish to swallow him, to save him from certain death. I'm not sure why he's in the fish. Immediately, if he's thinking, hey, this is God. Thank you for working this out. I'm like, I don't know how many of all been inside the belly of a great fish. I have not. Not even a big fisherman. But to be inside a whale or whatever it is doesn't sound very appealing. Sometimes what you think might do you in will be the one thing that saves you. Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights. And while he is there, he prays. Let's, I'm just going to read all of uh, chapter 2. This is his prayer. Listen to the tone he's using. Listen to how he talks to God. Kind of get the theme. And uh, Well, I'll tell you, the theme is he's very thankful to God. He's had a, turn, a change of heart. He's had a, a bit of an eye-opening experience, if you will. Okay? Verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and and your flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deeps surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I wish the voice of thanksgiving will, will sacrifice. Man, I cannot. Re- this is some terrible lighting in this. In this right, right here, or maybe it's my eyes. Maybe it's both. Uh, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Most of this prayer is directly, he is quoting the book of Psalms. He knows the book of Psalms. He studied the book of Psalms. And if you know much about the book of Psalms, it's a lot of talk. <laughs> It's complaining to God, it's despair, it's these enemies are coming at me, I want you to blot them out. God can handle all of our distress, and rightfully so, Jonah's in a pretty distressful situation. Uh, So he's quoting Psalms. Uh, A good reminder for all of us, uh, quote, uh, learn to memorize scripture, which is why we put kids in Awana, right? But adults should be memorizing scripture too, why? Because you need to know the scripture that's a promise for the situation that you don't even know is going to happen tomorrow. Right? Sometimes something could happen, an illness or whatever, that causes us, I can't read my Bible anymore, or I can't whatever, and it can change your life. And so what you've memorized is all you got to work off of. Here, you see Jonah, and he knows enough Psalms to know the God he's talking to and the God that's at work even in his difficult situation. I want to say a little bit about the, the fish, okay? Um, two things we know that the Bible says. It was a large fish. Uh, it also says in the text, it was God who provided the fish. It wasn't just a random chance. It wasn't, man, he had some good luck. That fish was just happened to be swimming around and ate him. Uh, no, you see in the story and the way it's told, God is the one acting upon Jonah's behalf. Could a whale swallow a human? In other words, is the mouth large enough? So there are such things as the blue whales. It's the largest animal alive today, and it may be the largest animal to ever have lived. It weighs about 200 to 350,000 pounds. Uh, I'll never forget the, the picture now is, is up there. I went to the, uh, the American Museum of Natural History, and you go into this room. Have you all been there? There's a lot of neat things. But in one of the rooms, it's the aquatic room or whatever, and they got this giant whale just hanging over you as you walk under it. Uh, and that whale, 94 feet long, 21,000 pounds. That's how big. And that one, I think, the replica they made it of was one found off of the coast of Africa. Uh, how, how large is the mouth of some of these uh, animals? A mouth of one of these whales could be 20 feet long by 15 feet high. Could a human fit in that? Yep, you could. Now, how is not eaten by all the teeth? Some of these mammals, some of the whales don't have teeth. I'm not sure how that all works. My point is, and I don't need to prove God, because God, God has enough proof in his creation and stuff. The point is, uh, I, don't, I think God did a miracle, and I think it literally happened what, what they said happened. Scientifically, I think you could have enough evidence to prove it as well. If you got your Bible, flip over to Matthew 12, the only other passage I'll have you look at, Matthew 12, 38. So I literally think it could happen. Um, uh, Matthew 12, 38. 
I'll wait until y'all get there. Everyone knows where Matthew is. We know that one. Jonah? Ugh, I don't know. I have to find it. Table of contents. Matthew chapter 12, 38. And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, uh, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So in that passage, Jesus is saying Jonah really happened. So if you don't believe Jonah, you also then don't believe what Jesus Christ himself is saying. Uh, and there's a problem with that. The, the, you have to believe in miracles if you're going to read the book of the Bible. It's a book about faith. If you've got a problem with this story, you're probably going to have a problem with Moses parting the Red Sea. You're probably going to have a trouble with Jesus turning water into wine and Jesus healing people, including the, the blind man that can all of a sudden see. You probably also have a problem with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that's the problem, then you got a problem with Christianity. So, uh, it is about faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So here we see Jonah. And the kind of a theme I want to take in this, and back, back to Jonah 2. Uh, I want to break it down as I think, of course, he's praying. But what is he praying? What's his attitudes of, of his prayer? And I think he's being very thankful to God that is saving him. So, I'm going to look at it through the lens of thanksgiving. Uh, because throughout God's word, there is a huge theme where uh, different apostles, they tell us we should be thankful, we should be grateful, all these things. And it's uh, just two verses. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Psalm 104. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I'm sure some time went by. I don't know at what point he went from, I'm going to die in this sea and all the seaweeds in me and all the bars and all that. I'm going to die. I'm going to Sheol. I'm going to the dark place. It's over. Lights out. I'm not sure how it went from that to the great fish gets him, swallows him, and he's in it, opens his eyes, comes to, and at some point in there, he has a aha moment, a light bulb goes off, and he turns from despair and his life is over to God is obviously working in the situation. The attitude of gratitude. Um, there's a lot of actually health benefits. There was a study in the Wall Street Journal uh, back in 2010. It's a little dated, but I think it still holds. Uh, it said this, adults who frequently feel grateful have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, more happiness than those who don't. Uh, it also says that they're less, less likely to be depressed, envious, greedy, or alcoholics. They earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. Researchers also find that gratitude brings similar benefits in children. Surprise, surprise. They tend to be less materialistic. They get better grades. They set higher goals. They complain of fewer headaches, stomach aches, feel more satisfied with their friends, families, and schools than those who don't. Research basically concluded a lot of these findings are things we learned in kindergarten and things we learned from our grandmothers that they told us, but now we have scientific evidence to prove them. The key is not to leave it on the Thanksgiving table. Do we live in a generation and a time that is thankful? I would suggest to you, no. We live in a time and a generation and a culture that is so self-centered. And if anything hinders me from being my potential best self, if you, if you cut me off in traffic, 
if you do whatever, then I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to show you all the things that you deserve. And there's, it's, it's just kind of a, it's a very selfish, um, you know, just kind of do everything you can. And we don't really, I would say we don't live very, we're not very grateful yet. Scripture says we should be. If anyone had a right to not be grateful, I would say it'd be Jonah. Although, what's he ungrateful for? He's the one that made his choices that he was going to rebel against God and not do exactly what, do the opposite of what God said for him to do. Um, we look here in the beginning and, and the kind of the thankfulness and structure of his prayer. He starts it out in, ver- in chap- chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He, he immediately recounts having prayed to the Lord in past tense. He's a prophet. He's done other things for God. He's obeyed God in other circumstances, other times previous to this. But this one time was too much for Jonah, and he couldn't do it. So then he became disobedient to God, and he did the opposite stuff. So what's happening in his prayer? Uh, well, Jonah decided previous to this prayer that obeying the Lord was not going to be good enough for him. It's not what he wanted to do. Uh, he even told the sailors back in verse 9 of chapter 1, Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, I know who, I know who I'm running for and I know who caused the storm. Just throw me overboard. Pick me up. Hurl me over there. Uh, he wanted to die, but then when the sailors, someone asked last week, you know, was it God that threw him? Or no, I don't remember the question. Judy Cannell's not here, so I don't remember the question. Exactly. Moving on. Uh, the sailors threw him overboard. But even when he was overboard, God knew that that was going to happen. He had a plan intact, ready to, the big fish was already ready to go get him. Um, Jonah, though, he finds himself in serious trouble. I don't know how great a swimmer he was, probably not an Olympic swimmer or anything like that. Uh, And there's a storm that's just happening. So you can imagine the waves and all of the things. Uh, That is one of my greatest fears, is to be wind up in the ocean or something. I'm going to go on a cruise in, in, in sometime May. And uh, I don't want to be off that boat. I want to stay on the boat. I don't want to be in those waters. And even the Israelites, they, they had a huge fear of being in the water. Uh, so there was, he was living the worst thing that could possibly happen to him. But here he recounts the thankfulness of God. He has come to the point where he sees God was even working in this difficult situation. God was even overcoming his disobedience uh, and was moving through creation and this great fish and he remembers God has saved him and God will always save him, he does. Secondly, thankfulness help us to realize our depravity. That's a blank on your form, one of two blanks, depravity. Uh, it serves as an example of us, uh, of prayer, of thanksgiving, one who recognizes that they're desperately in need because of their sins. The depravity of man is a huge theological term that basically means you got to be bad enough that Jesus Christ needed to die for you to save you. If you don't think you're that bad, then guess what? You don't need a Savior. You're not that bad. you got to realize all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of his standard is what it says in Romans. you got to be bad enough to be saved. And here you see it literally acted out. Jonah had to get, he's hitting rock bottom. He had to get to the point where he could not save himself at all and he's going to die in the water if God doesn't do something. He was in need of a lifeguard and it came by way of a big fish. Uh, Jonah's life is in great distress. Um, 
Jonah understands that something has to take place inside of him. Uh, he, he uses a little bit different terms when he's talking about this fish. In 117, he uses the masculine term. But later on uh, in chapter 2, he uses more of a feminine term with this fish, maybe talking about reproduction. Of course, you got the idea of the, the rebirth of three days, he's in the belly, and then after three days, he's rebirthed. You got this picture of salvation, right? You got Jesus Christ, it's foreshadow what Jesus Christ is going to do, and he says later, he's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to be in uh, the wrath of God for three days, but after three days, I'm resurrected, I'm out of that tomb. There's a rebirth that happens. Um, Sheol, he, talk, he mentions that. Uh, one of the Old, Old Testament scholars, I, he, said, he says this, Sheol refers to a place of divine punishment, a curse often wished on the ungodly. Uh, he says, I'm going to Sheol, uh, and I've cried to you, and uh, thank you that you've heard my voice, God. I'm desperate for you, and you have heard me, and I'm grateful for you acting on my behalf. Uh, Jonah continues to pray in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows, they passed over me. Um, he sees that God, God is judging Jonah for his disobedience, for his not obeying what God wants him to do, which God still is a wrathful, judgmental God. We don't like to describe that. It's not very uh, Western society to talk about the wrath of God and hellstone and brimfire. I always say that wrong. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, what is it? Brimstone and hellfire? Fire and brimstone. I'm going to get it right one of these times. Uh, Maybe not, though. Uh, we, We love the God that is loving and graceful and forgiving, and God is those things as well. God, God sends his wrath and judgment on sin. Ever since Adam and Eve, and ever since they disobeyed God, there has been consequences of that. Here, Jonah is sinning. He's disobeying God. Anytime you and I sin, we disobey God. There is a price that has to be paid. The wrath of God, the judgment of God can't come. Thankful, though, now, this side on the cross, we have the grace, forgiveness of God as well. God doesn't like to be disobeyed. Um, And that's exactly what Jonah did. But yet in his mercy and in his love, he's still providing a way for Jonah to to save Jonah. He is a merciful God. Jonah understands that God is coming after him. He's able to say in verse 4 that I am driven away, banished from your sight, but he knows God is still pursuing him. God is at work in his situations. He is desperate but understands that he will be able to look back again on God's temple. He's talked a couple of times about the temple of God. Now, the temple of God was a huge thing back in this time. That's where the presence of God supposedly was. That's where you go in Jerusalem to worship God, and you do all the sacrifices, you do all the things. Jonah, at first, is when he says about the temple, is like, surely I can never go back to the temple anymore. I've, I'm too, I've done too, much, too many bad things to go back. But then next time he says temple, like, no, but I am going to go back, and I am going to worship you, and I am going to meet with you, and you, you're bringing me back into the fold. We all know that the temple itself cannot contain all of who God is. Uh, Paul proclaimed this in Acts 17 that uh, to the, the polytheistic Athenians. Uh, God is too much to be contained in any uh, place or thing unless he chooses to be, which he did. Throughout Old Testament history and Israel's history, he, he was going to manifest himself and dwell in the tabernacle. He was going to manifest himself in the temple. Of course, 
he's going to manifest himself in the incarnation of Christ himself. Then now, he's in the, dwelling, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and believers. But the temple wasn't everything. That, uh, that's just how they were worshiping God back then. Uh, Jonah understands he's in big trouble. Jonah understands he's in a big problem. Uh, and he is coming to the realization through this prayer, and it's very poetic how he says it, and I'm just not going to dive into all the poetry and all the stuff. But basically, he's saying, uh, God, I thank you that you're a merciful God, because I really don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve you coming after me. I don't deserve you providing my way through the fish to come get me, and I don't deserve, I deserve death. I deserve the wrath of God because I've been disobeying you. But Jonah has repented. He's changed his heart. The way he talks to God in chapter 1, the way he talks to God in chapter 2, after, and you know, the Bible understates what happens, but you can just imagine the drasticness, the, you're in the water, in the middle of the Mediterranean, or wherever, uh, and you've got nothing. You, you got, you're going to die. And you're going down, down, down. The text says in verse 1, it's going down, down, down. And then somehow, this fish, and he's inside of it. And he doesn't die. He wakes up. He's alive. And he realizes, God is saving me. He goes back in verses 5 and 6. He kind of goes back and relives. Uh, I don't believe he's saying this stuff in the waters. I think in the waters, you're just trying to survive. I think he's praying this from the belly of the fish. Uh, uh, but in verse 5 and 6, he goes back and remembers the waters closing over me. They were going to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains. Uh, he's at the bottom of mountains. So in the ocean, you have all sorts of different levels. He's at the bottom of the bottom. He's at the lowest part. He went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I don't believe the fish showed up immediately when Jonah was thrown overboard. I don't think it was like, throw him overboard and there's Moby Dick. I don't think that happened. Uh, I, th- I think he, uh, God wanted him to see, you know, you cannot save yourself. You are in this predicament because of your choices. And at whatever point that God decided it was time in his sovereignty, that's when the fish came. Uh, you know, oftentimes when we listen to people's and their, the stories of saints or of past Christians or believers or how they come to know Christ, uh, it seems like a lot of people... Uh, you hit rock bottom in your life, and then you cry out to the Lord. Uh, some other people, you know, grew up in a Christian home. This is my testimony. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, Jesus Christ still had to die for me. I was still a sinner, all of that. But I didn't. I wasn't in prison. I didn't do all the things, and then I got this amazing, fun testimony. Well, some people have to hit rock bottom. They have to, they have to come to the end of their rope before they're going to realize that they are in need of a Savior that they can't save themselves, that their situation is unsavable, it's unsalvageable, it's, it's over. Well, thank goodness for the mercy and the grace and the love and the persistence of a God that loves everybody. Jonah is at this place. He is at rock bottom. He cries out to God. He, he does, or he's going to die. Um, and, uh, and God does save him. Even though the waters are closing in over him, the deep surrounding him, the weeds are everywhere, He's going down, 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 uh, but the Lord 
came to deliver him, and he comes to deliver us. Uh, it's a good picture. There's a lot of pictures in this four chapters, but uh, a thing that you can also have is there's a lot of, and the enemy, Satan, the father of lies, he's very good at twisting lies and making us feel good enough in our own situation, and I can overcome, you know, I got some, I got some, I got some str- things I struggle with, you know, but I'm not that bad, or I got some self-esteem problems, or I got whatever, and I, I can handle it. I can, I can just try better, and I can do better, and get some self-help books, and I can solve all these problems. Well, ultimately, your and my most important problem is we're sinners in front of a holy and just God. However, the Holy Spirit, whether it was a vacation Bible school, whether it was a, a church youth camp, whether it's tonight, whether it's a service, whether it's a revival, whatever, when the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, uh, hopefully, maybe the preaching of the God's word, I'm a sinner and I have not accepted the Savior that Jesus, what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save me from my situation, that is unsavable. Until you get to that point, you're not a child of God. Sometimes the enemy is really good at saying we don't really need a God. Jonah in this would be, he would say in his situation, uh, I really need a God. I need a God now. I need a God over all creation and all the nature and all the stuff. I need help right now. And God did save him. God in his sovereignty, his mercy, uh, you know, you can go back and forth. Uh, you see God's sovereignty. It says in the text uh, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You also send the end of, verse, of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out. So God's controlling this giant fish, whatever, great fish. Notice the fish didn't talk smack to him, didn't disobey him or anything. It's the humans that are the ones that, which he's very fond of us. We're creating the image of God, but we're also the ones that oftentimes give him the biggest trouble. Uh, but you see, the sovereignty of God, did God, was God going to open that mouth, the, the fish of that mouth, if Jonah didn't do this prayer? I don't know. He can go around and around. Uh, I, or, or did his prayer cause God to open his, the mouth of the fish and vomit it out? I don't know. It's just how the story reads. It is interesting to connect how God moves with our prayer, there is a sense of as we pray things, God does things. That's, that's a thing that happens uh, throughout the scriptures. Um, he says in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. He remembers the God. He remembers the God and hearing about the God in the temple and studying the scriptures. Uh, this kind of also raises the issue of, uh, how depraved, how rebellious, how far from God can we get until he saves us? Can you get too far from God that he can't save a person? Can you do too many bad things that he can't save you? If God can save Jonah in this predicament for all that he's done wrong, I think God can save anybody. Christ died for all. God can save all. Uh, I think God hears our prayers and he gives us mercy and he he, he, he knows our life situations and he answers accordingly to his will. God will hear our prayers even if you've done far worse than Jonah here. All of us have sinned. We, we all fall short of God's glory. Uh, 
uh, his, sta- his standard of righteousness. God looks down on all of us and says that there is not one of us righteous in his sight. All of us deserve eternal death. God says, if you believe in his son, died on the cross, and raised from, again, he will hear because of Christ's work for us. The Lord will rescue you. None of us are unrescuable. But also, thirdly, you see, thankfulness helps us make commitments. Jonah 2, verse 8, uh, you see he's, he, he's ready to make a commitment to God. Uh, first, Jonah says that idols do not save. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love in verse 8. At the end of verse 9, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. To whom was Jonah making these statements? Uh, is he thinking of the pagan sailors that, you know, they threw me overboard? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's probably thinking of those later people that are going to read his proclamation and read his story, which is nation of Israel. The Israelites, they're going to read and hear his story. So what, did, what was Israel's biggest problem? Their biggest problem was idol worship, right? How many times did God have to say, don't create any idols. I want to be your only God. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's one of those things. I am the only God. No other gods. Before you know it, they're building idols up and calves and all sorts of stuff, right? Good thing we don't have idols today. That was tongue-in-cheek. We don't have Baals and we don't bow down, but uh, we bow down to other idols. Uh, We do. But in effect, Jonah here is saying, you know, let me make something clear. Everyone that's listening, when I was in the seas, there was nothing that wood, stone, gold, or silver could have done. All those things that you carve out of trees and heat up in pots and great fire and then you bow down to worship them, all those false gods uh, who you commit whoredom to, they do not have any significance for me when I neared the end of my life at the bottom of the seas. The only thing that mattered in my ordeal was the Lord who is known for being merciful. Didn't matter. All your little idols and all the things you worship, they ain't going to change my life and my situation one little bit. An idol never ever can fulfill all that it promises that it can do. And that's, that's true for us. We have idols, other idols. We just have things like greed and covetousness. Uh, we have things like, I need the perfect body or in the image. I need, I need to raise a top academic child. He must be valedictorian. If your kid is a valedictorian, that's great. But don't make sure that's not an idol. Uh, or parents, that we don't put our kids' achievements or grandkids' achievements as that's everything, because guess what? Your kids or grandkids are going to fail you. They will mess up at some point, because that's actually what, what, what we all did, too. We still have idols, uh, but none of those things, when ultimately life is in a situation where nothing, none of those things can come and save you. Only Jesus Christ, only God can. Tim Keller, in his book, he says, An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value, and then I'll feel significant and secure. What you got, if that's what you think about anything, even money, even success, whatever, you got a counterfeit God. And Jonah here, in a little brief little sermon, he says, those little idols, don't bow down to them, don't worship them, don't waste your time on them. His eye-opening experience is, none of that matters. None of those things saved me. It's only a God in his mercy and his love for me, his steadfast love, his faithful love that came and rescued me. Another word that is used, and that's why I use the ESV, is it says steadfast love. The steadfast love of God. The Hebrew word of that is 
is, is hesed. This is a word in Old Testament time, and any Israelite would know what this word is. It's talking about the loyal covenant love of God. The faithful, merciful God that rescues his people. Hesed. Uh, that this merciful God comes in spite of the actions of the people, and it's still going to hold true to his covenant and his love for them. Which isn't that the nation of Israel over and over again? <laughs> you know? God, I am all in with you. Man, anything you say, whatever. God, I'm making idols and I'm worshiping things. Oh, I'm coming back to you, God. I'm coming. Thank you. You're Hesed, you're covenant, you're loyal. I'm disloyal. God, you want me to go to Nineveh? Absolutely. I'm all in. Well, he never said that, did he? You want me to go to Nineveh? No, I'm going to Tarshish. <laughs> you know, I'm going, no, no, big no, God, not doing it. God is a faithful, steadfast, loving God, and salvation belongs to the Lord. None of those other idols, none of those other things will save us when ultimately, when this life is over, whether Christ comes back or whether I pass on and, uh, and go to the judgment seat of Christ, whatever happens, I'm, what I did with Christ is going to determine my eternity and your eternity. None of those other things will matter. Not how much money you have in the bank account, not how much retirement you have, not if you were a faithful husband or a wife. Now, those are good things to do those things, but that's not what we put our, our ultimate hope in. There are some things that should happen in our life because we are Christians, because I have, I, I have experienced God's love and I'm a child of God, then through his word and as it teaches me, I should be living out some things in my life. But if those things are taken away, whatever it is, I'm still a child of God and that's the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Thankfulness helps us also to live sacrificial lives um, Jonah commits himself to sacrifice at the temple as an uh, expression of thanksgiving in verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. He's going to go back to the temple. He's going to make these commitments. He's going to do what's right. And he's going to be faithful toward the God that is faithful to him, the Hesed God. He's going to, at one point, go get a perfect animal and sacrifice it. It won't have any blemishes. It's going to be costly to him, and he's going to go, uh, and he's going to make the sacrifice to God and make it right. Now, we have to interpret that, and now, Paul says in Romans 12.1, that we are living sacrifices. Any of y'all still sacrificing animals? If you are, I don't, I don't think you need to do that. Stop doing that. Uh, you might have a dog or a cat. You want to sacrifice, but don't do that. Don't do that yet. Uh, no. Christ is the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb that was sacrificed for us. And on this side of the cross, uh, Paul says in Romans 12 that our, we're, the, we're the sacrifice. How we live our lives is the sacrifice to God. So are you grateful for what God has done for you? When was the last time you told God, thank you for fill in the blank. And if you really can't come up with anything to be thankful to God, for nothing. I have no idea. There's nothing good in my life. But thank God that Jesus died on the cross for me. Anyone can pray that. It doesn't mean our lives won't have complications. It doesn't mean there's some things in our life that maybe I, I, I'm not that thankful for, but even even when we go through the difficult times and the trials, and whether it's God is trying us or testing us, or whether it's our own 
lack of obeying God and the sinful consequences of our own choices. Whatever it is, things happen in life, right? I did not want that doctor, that, that, I didn't want that doctor visit and that notification from that doctor. And I didn't want uh, that kid to make that choice. And I didn't want uh, that job that I lost uh, un- unduly for no reason. I didn't want all these things. Jonah here is grateful even despite he just about died because of his disobedience to God. Jonah here can be grateful. I suggest to you and to all of us that we should be a people that are thankful to the Lord for his mercy, for his, uh, for his steadfast love, uh, for his forgiveness that comes through Christ, um, and we should proclaim that to him. You know, as a parent, you know how, uh, if you have teenage kids, how often do teenage kids say, thank, thank you for what you do for them? I'll tell you, mine. Very little. I don't know when the light bulb goes off, because I think, I mean, at some point, maybe in your 30s, you realize mom and dad aren't idiots, number one, and they actually did, they sacrificed a lot for me, for my betterment, for my good. I don't think they see it at all somewhere in, I don't know, 13 to like 25. I don't know. They don't see any of it. Here's the God of heaven, the creator of all things. And here are the people that he saved, you and me. And we don't thank God for it? Thank goodness God is faithful and he's patient and all these things. I'm suggesting to you and to myself, tell God thank you. And don't just do it today. Make it a habit. Our pastor, in his counseling, and I've heard him say it to numerous peoples, uh, when you're all doom and gloom and uh, you know, can't see the blue skies and all of life is shattering and, and you watch the news too much, when all of that, and you're in the darkest of darkest places, and all, woe is me, start writing down things you're thankful for. And he would challenge people to do 100 things. You're like, how could I do 100 things? You'd be surprised. You know, ice cream, that would be one of Jeff's. Um, uh, other thing, I like ice cream too, just not as much as him. Uh, there's a lot to be thankful for. And it does, it does change your perspective. Um, if we're self-centered and all we can see is through our own, I can't see it from God's perspective, I can't see what God is possibly doing. Jonah at this point in the belly of the fish sees, God, you're saving me. And he's thankful for it. The end, as I, as I wrap up, thankfulness helps us proclaim the message of salvation. He says at the end of verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. In that one statement, he preaches the whole gospel. The gospel message is not about us. The gospel message is about a God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. That's what the gospel, God's word, is about. And the story of how he correlates and interrelates with mankind and creation and all the things. But ultimately, uh, we are thankful because we have a God that saves. And, that, and he's the only God that can save. Nothing else can save mankind. Uh, Notice that after Jonah proclaimed that salvation belongs to God alone, the very next verse, the Lord commanded the fish to spit him out. I'm not sure how many times it says vomit in the scriptures, but this is one of them. That could be a good word study for somebody. I didn't look that up. Uh, God speaks to the fish and it obeys. Um, as I end, I... Jonah goes down to the depths of the belly of Sheol, going down into the grave forever under the wrath of God. 
In the same way, God put his very own son on the cross and God slayed him. Isaiah 53.10, yet the Lord was pleased to crush his son severely. Christ certainly experienced the fuller wrath of God after his death uh, so that we wouldn't have to experience that wrath anymore. It wouldn't belong to anyone that puts their faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross. Jonah's going all the way down to the bottom of the sea, and as he goes down, he cries out to the Lord from the grave. Three days later, with thanksgiving, Jonah's brought up out of the water. Christ did not really physically descend into hell, but he took the wrath of God for all of us, and he had all the wrath of God that we deserved, and so much so that the Father could not look at his own son anymore with the wrath upon him. After three days in the grave, with voices of thanksgiving, God raised Christ from the dead because the grave could not hold him. God's mercy is so great that he would hurl Christ into the depths of Sheol as one forsaken so that we who are rightly forsaken in our rebellion can be saved. God so loves us that even our rebellious spirit, we can still be saved. Hesed, faithful, covenantal love. I'm thankful and aren't you thankful that we serve a God of second chances? Um, God seeks to save people drowning in sin. By sending his son, Jesus Christ, anyone who trusts in Jesus will receive mercy just like Jonah. Some applications as as I end tonight. Sometimes a crisis experience is exactly what we need to get us to pray. I said that was the last time you said something thankful to God, but then I could also say when was the last time you prayed to God? We have a great opportunity tomorrow from 1130 to 1, National Day of Prayer, May the 4th, not December. Um... But seriously, we should be praying to God, but isn't it easy just to not pray to God and be distracted? Don't we live distracted lives? What do you do in your spare time? Well, I have games, or I can check social media, or I can check the news, or I can check whatever. And these things, is the enemy not? A lot of good things come from these things. But don't you know a lot of bad comes from these things too? You and I have to have self-control and and say, I'm going to set aside so much time that I'm, going to, I'm just going to talk to God. I'm just going to pray to God. Let him talk to me to, uh, through his word. Uh, Abraham Lincoln once said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Uh, Jonah cried out for help because he had no other answers. Sometimes God allows us to face difficult situations, maybe nothing else to show us that we must rely on God. Secondly, God can hear our prayers from anywhere. If he can hear Jonah inside the belly of a giant fish, he can hear us. God is omnipresent. God hears everything, knows everything. He's omniscient. Uh, You know, uh, God can hear us at any moment when we talk to him. Uh, There are times in prayers that we maybe don't know what to say. Maybe we're hurting so bad, I can't, nothing can, no thoughts are coming. I'm just going to sit here and cry. I I literally have nothing else to give. Maybe you're at the the bottom, the rock bottom. Maybe there are times when you begin to think the Lord has abandoned you. Maybe maybe God doesn't even know your situation. Maybe God doesn't even know what's going on. Have you ever been in over your head in your life? Then pray. is, is Is it your own fault? Pray for God. Pray to God. Have you not been living the kind of life you think God wants you to live? Pray. 
Are you concerned even if you pray that your motives might be mixed, that you might be more concerned about your own well-being than you are about God's will? Pray. God can handle our prayers. I would suggest to you, more times than not, we just don't pray. We kind of go into this, "Ah, I'm just going to, you know, I can get through this. I'm just going to try harder, and this is all going to be good. Sometimes, maybe not. Also, pray the word of God. That's what Jonah here did. Know the word of God, pray the word of God to him, and he hears it, and he works through his word and through the prayers of his people. Thirdly, when God answers prayer, you should respond with thanksgiving and worship and give an offering to him. That's exactly what... uh, that's exactly what Jonah does here. Has God answered a prayer in your life? The great theologian Martin Luther, he said this, it is clear that a sacrifice must consist of praise and thanks, or must at least not be without praise and thanks. If it is, if it is to please God, and if it is without praise and thanks, he neither wants nor likes it, is indeed what he says in Isaiah. What is your, what is your sacrificing to me? I do not want your offering of incense. We cannot give God anything, for everything is already his, and all we have comes from him. We can only give him praise, thanks, and honor. If I haven't given you enough Thanksgiving verses, Psalm 107.22, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds of songs of joy. Jeremiah 33.11, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is not a suggestion. This is not if you feel like it. These are commands of the prophets of God that God uses to speak the words, the truths of God to his people, us. Fourth principle, there is always price to pay for our disobedience. Jonah lost three days and three nights of his life inside the belly of a fish uh, amongst probably almost killing some other pagans, sailors, but they survived somehow. But our disobedience, there is a cost that comes with it. Um, There is, of course, forgiveness at the cross. Jesus Christ forgives but sometimes we have to live with the consequences of choices that we, that we make. Uh, the illustration I, I've always, I've heard, I don't know where I heard it from, but, you know, well, Jesus Christ for sins, so that, that means I can then sin. It gives, I can sin because Jesus forgives sin, so I can sin. Brilliant argument. Not. When we sin, it's like uh, if I had a piece of wood and I had a hammer and a nail and I hammered it, not into my finger, but into the nail, uh, and I hammered it into a piece of wood, right? There's a nail in the wood. Uh, Jesus, will you forgive me? Absolutely. Let me take that nail out. Absolutely. The nail is gone. What's left, though? A hole, right? Maybe not the greatest analogy. Point is, there's consequences when we choose to disobey God, when we sin. So if you're thinking, if you're thinking, I can live in sin and justify it, I'm a child of God, that's not a good thought. It's not a good place to be at. Um, For sure there is forgiveness, but how long is a heavenly father that's patient and gracious and merciful, how long is he going to let you do that? And you think you're going to get away with it. Whether even if you get away with it, you're not receiving, you're not getting the blessings of God that's going to bless those that are being obedient to him and his word. You're going to miss out on some of the things. Uh, So don't be disobedient to God. That's not the moral of Jonah's story. He's not better because he was disobedient. Uh, so those are some of my thoughts on Jonah chapter 2. Uh, we should be a people that are grateful, that are thankful, uh, because God saves. And I'm thankful he saved me, and he's willing to save any one of us. If hasn't put our faith and trust in Christ, he'll do it tonight. 
Uh, it's just a matter of getting to the point where you realize, I need a Savior. And that only Savior is going to come through Jesus Christ. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for this small book of Jonah and how you did such great things in his life. And we can learn so many things, uh, even from this chapter. Uh, the, the prayer is, he seems like in a really bad situation, but yet he, he understands now that he needs to repent of his decisions and how he was disobeying you and he needs to turn and totally change his life. And you saved him just like you save us. We put our faith and trust in you. Uh, and then the next thing he knows, he's spit out and he's on the shore of Nineveh, ready to do the next thing that God calls him to do. I'm thankful, God, and grateful that you're a God that does, uh, you work in our lives, you work in our situations, you work uh, in many times things we can't see behind the scenes, and I pray that uh, even as we learn from Jonah here tonight, I pray that we would be people that are thankful and uh, realize if nothing else, it's because the salvation we can have through Christ, that you saved sinners, that we deserve the wrath of God because we're unholy and we're unjust, that yet Jesus Christ died on that cross, took our sins upon him, the wrath of God, and if we put our faith and trust in him, you call us a child of God. You save us. It's just, it's hard to describe. Thank you for the grace and the love that we can have, that we can be children of God, and I pray that we would be grateful children, that we would tell you how thankful we are, that when we have times of distress and, and maybe we don't understand what you're doing, that we would talk to you, that we would pray to you, that we would communicate with you, our Heavenly Father. Thank you for your, being a God that is always there, is always faithful, with that hesed, steadfast love. It's his, in his name I pray. Amen.